Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Grow Through What You Go Through podcast. This week's episode is about a topic that I am so passionate about. I feel I feel like I say that every episode, but realistically, anything I talk about on here I'm very passionate about. Um but yeah, this one I think as I learned about this myself growing up and over the past few years, it's really helped me with my healing journey, my friendships and my relationships in my life. Um, so this week's episode is all about attachment styles and love languages. Um, communication comes into this topic a lot as well, and I'll explain that throughout the episode. But yeah, without talking too much at the start, um, let's just get straight into it, okay? So first of all, we're going to start with the love languages, okay? And this goes with friendships and relationships as well, so platonic friendships and your relationships, partner-wise. Um, also family as well like parents and siblings and stuff like that but the reason why this is so important is because we expect people to understand how to love us and how we like to be loved when that's not the case at all more so often than not what happens in relationships and friendships and stuff like that is we give the love to others that we want and sometimes that's not necessarily the love that that person needs or wants and hence why finding out what your love language is and communicating that with your friends and your partner is so important Um, and this is kind of how some relationships don't last either because the partner doesn't feel loved they're not getting the love and their, their needs aren't being met but it's because one they either don't know what their love language is and two they're not communicating to their partner what their love language is as well um so if, if, there, if there is times in your friendships and relationships where you do feel a little bit like you're not getting the love that you desire take a step back and think okay do I know my love language and does my partner know my love language because most of the time if you communicate this with your partner they're gonna want to step up and give you that love that they desire that you desire and if I suppose that they don't and they feel like they can't give you that then that's where you need to kind of reevaluate yourself reevaluate your relationship and friendships and be like okay is this something I'm willing to stick around for um so yeah if you don't know your love language there is a test you can do online. Um, I just type in love language test into Google and it comes up. But when I did that in the most recent one I've done, just to see if mine was still the same, it's called fivelovelanguages.com. So this is really important for you and your partner to do because you obviously get to find out theirs as well. Um, in any relationships that I've been in, I've done this test with them. Um, and to be honest, mine has changed over the last few years as well. Um, because I solely thought words of affirmation was my main one until after my last relationship I found out that it was more quality time because that was kind of one of the things that sparked the breakup in the first place I felt like I wasn't seeing them as much and I obviously came to him about that um, and things like that but yeah anyways getting into the actual topic itself so there are five different types of love languages now, these are main types of love languages. You see on Instagram and social media over the last while that there is other things that people can do that can be a love language as well. Um, but these are the five main ones. So first one I'm going to talk about is physical touch. So this is where your partner can be, they can feel loved or yourself, you yourself can feel loved when someone touches you or they express their love to you in physical ways. So this can be like being PDA in public, holding hands, 
kissing, cuddling, like let's say like when you're out and about, like their hands around your shoulder or when you're driving, which is my all time favorite is when they put their leg on your, on your, their hand on your leg. Sorry, I said that backwards. Um, and even, so like you can, if your love language is physical touch and you initiate to, like that touch with your partner and they reciprocate it back or they're open to giving it back in that moment, you feel so loved. But to someone who has, a love language as physical touch they strive off when their partner initiates the physical touch because it's like the partner is doing it because they want to not because they feel they have to as well um and this people like who strive off connection physical touch can be quite healing as well um you know yourself sometimes when someone touches you and you get that like that feeling throughout your body if it's a hug or a kiss or whatever you know yourself if you if you've experienced it that that feeling is just indescribable and that kind of even if physical touch isn't your partner's main love language now in saying that we all like we all have all these love languages some of them are just we value them more and want some more than others because like I've fallen victim of this where like let's say I'll be with a, a partner or something like that and I'll be having quality time and words of affirmation but I'll be like I'll be saying to myself in that moment but they don't get me on. Like, I'd love for him to just go downstairs now and just be like, oh, do you want some, something to eat? Or, you know, like the acts of service. It's like, we're just, we're never happy in the moment when we're getting the things we want. Like, or, you know, like you could be spending quality time with them and let's say that's your love language, but you'd be sitting there and being like, he hasn't told me he loves me yet. I'm here like two hours and I haven't heard it yet. You know, like we're just so nitpicky. It's like when we have it, we want something else and we want something more. It's, we're just, we're batshit crazy in my opinion. Um, so yeah, that's more so physical touch. It's like, and don't get me wrong, sex is obviously a part of that physical touch as well. But because overall sex is such an emotionally charged feeling, it's not always the main physical touch kind of thing. Like, so, like I said, the holding hands, the hugging, the kissing, being affectionate around your partner, cuddling, especially when they initiate it for you and your love language is physical touch. It's, like I said, one of the most emotionally healing feelings um, that your partner can uh, can have. So then the next one that I'm going to talk about is gifts. So this is the more visual side of um, a love language and how someone can express their love for you. So... For someone who has this love language, it's not about the value of the gift or how expensive it is or if it has a brand or a label on it. It's the thoughtfulness behind the gift. Um, me personally, when I'm giving gifts to anyone, um, my friends and uh, partners and stuff like that would have known that it's the thought that counts with me. Um, I just love being thoughtful. I'd rather buy someone like loads of little small thoughtful gifts that remind me of them or if it's a picture frame with us in it or things like that or if I seen something that they've spoken about recently that they wanted I'd rather buy them loads of them than the bleeding like Louis Vuitton fucking handbag or whatever but um yeah so it's the thoughtfulness behind the gift and it's showing that your partner that when you've seen this you thought of them and like it just shows that they're listening to you when you like talk about these things um 
and that's just another way like showing intimacy and love with your partner and really connecting with them so like if you do have a partner that has gifts as a love language just I suppose be more open and listening to them um when they're talking and catch out on these things that they're talking about and even if it's down to their coffee order like even that like I know that's an active service as well but like just listen out for the small things if they're let's say if they're talking about oh like I need to buy more perfume or I need to buy I ran out my favorite lipstick like go to the shop and buy them their lipstick or if it's girls for lads like go out and buy them their aftershave or you know if they need new like I don't know what the lads like these days like new Nike socks or if they want a new if they're talking about new gym clothes or anything like you know just listen that's all anyone ever wants in a relationship or friendships is just to be heard um yeah so I'd say that's probably one of the more straightforward um love languages in out of the five um the next one is acts of service so this is where your partner can go out of their way to make things easier for you um so like that let's say for example you come home from a hard day at work you're in the house and like the cleaning and the washing needs to be done but let's say your partner got in before you and they just decided to do the cleaning around the house because you seem tired or let's say when you're sick and we all know like we love like a nice bowl of soup or as the Irish mammy say the warm seven up bringing you that while you're in bed or like a little care package so I remember I got a care package and it was like strepsils and my favorite drink and packet of crisps and stuff like that um so just little things like that the acts of service that just make your day easier and um, like getting up in the mornings and having your coffee made for you or you know like for someone who has this love language, they value that action speak louder than words. And honestly, when I said that my love language has changed um, over the last few years, I one of my major love languages was words of affirmation. Now, it still is, but to a point that the actions weren't being put to the words um, back then. And that's how my whole perception of it changed. And it is okay for your love language to change. Like you can be in a relationship and I suppose as we grow up and if we haven't been in many relationships, we don't know how much we're going to value or how much we're going to like a certain love language. So they do try and say that your love language that you crave is based on what you didn't get as a child. Now, this can be the case for some people. Now, if you listen to last week's episode with Amy, you will have heard that that doesn't really resonate with her, but it does for me. So for me, my love language being words of affirmation would have been because I didn't really hear the loving words as a kid, although I was very loved. It was like just this, like I didn't hear it enough, if that makes sense. Um, so that's why when I first got into relationships, then that was one thing I craved. But in reality, now being a bit older and stuff, it's quality time. Um, and obviously seeing basically falling head over heels with people's words and their actions and all stepping up for it open my eyes big time um but yeah so then quality time is another one which is my number one well when I did the test recently words of affirmation still came in the highest but quality time wasn't that far behind I don't think I can't remember what my percentages were but um yeah so this is basically spending time with each other and this doesn't have to be 
like fancy wine and dine date nights or like it's more so actively being present with your partner actively listening to them without any distractions and I suppose I always say quality versus quantity so I'd rather spend an hour of quality time with my partner than two or three hours of mind mindless hours being on our phones or not engaging in like let's say an activity or a conversation that brings us closer together and just little things like that um I suppose this one is just where you just want to be in the presence of your partner or your friend and and it doesn't matter what you're doing once you get to spend time with them like a lot of people be like oh but you talk all the time and you FaceTime all the time if you're someone that strives off connection this would definitely be one of your top love languages and we all know that people can make us feel absolutely amazing after being in their presence and I suppose this is why quality time can be such a major factor for some people's um love language um let me see yeah so the next one then is words of affirmation so like I said Sorry, just getting a little bit thirsty here because my mouth is so dry after talking. <laughs> um, we all know I do talk a lot. But words of affirmation is basically verbal acknowledgements. So this can be down to compliments, hearing the words I love you, hearing that your partner or friends appreciate you and the things you've done or the value you add to their lives. And like... This can be kind of tricky sometimes because I know for me when words of affirmation, I used to always be waiting around for that text or that phone call, which can be the de- to the detriment of it in a sense as well. And that links in with your attachment soil, which I will get to in a second. But as well as that, then it can like be encouragement from your friends and partner or the support they give you in like let's say if you have a business or if you have a hobby and them just being like I'm so proud of you or like let's say if you have a competition or I'm just gonna say rugby match because I play rugby and they're like oh like best of luck you'll smash it or little things like that it's just a little verbal acknowledgement to know that like your partner supports you or your friends uh, support you in whatever it is that you do um and yeah I suppose with that as well as like I think if they start talking about um like I miss you and I can't wait to see you and I had a great time at you last night Um, yeah you know yourself with words of affirmation it's pretty self-explanatory like it's hearing all the good things and especially if your partner talks about like the future and what they see the future to be like it's like oh okay that's that's good like when when you you know yourself if you hear someone and they use the word we or our when they're talking about things in the future you know that's a big big thing because they do see it in your future even if you haven't actively spoken about it um but yeah I suppose with that being said of all the words of of all the five love languages the two I'd say that correlate with each other big time are the words of affirmation and quality time and this is just in my opinion because like I said the words of affirmation are good to a point but the actions from the quality time need to back it up as well and um, that's just something I've learned over the last few years and something I always watch out for Um, now don't get me wrong words of affirmation can be 
quite hard in the sense that very early days in relationships, people can just tell you everything you want to hear and you fall for it. And then like you're attached and you fall off the face. They could fall off the face of the earth then, which we've all experienced. And so I suppose it is just if that is your love language, kind of delve deeper into why, like try and ask yourself, why is that the case? Um, And just kind of look back on previous patterns to see like has that affected you before and have you kind of been I suppose love bombed in any way or you know yeah just be mindful especially if people are like telling you things you want to hear very early days um just for your own sake to protect your little heart because we've all been there especially me um so yeah now moving on to attachment styles so everyone has a an attachment style and we all know that secure attachment style is the goal in relationships and we all can become secure with the help of therapy and looking back on our inner child wounds and how our inner how our childhood was but our attachment styles are related to our they're related to patterns in relationships as well so if we feel like we're seeing the same patterns in people with different faces. I like I always like to say, like you'll always learn the same lesson in every relationship with um different faces until you heal the wounds and stuff like that, which is related to your um attachment style. So your attachment style is defined by whether your emotional, physical and mental needs as a child were met or not. So we have three different main types, I suppose. Um, some of these ty- some of these can be broken down into smaller ones again, but just to kind of keep it simple, um, I just said I'd do the three. So we have secure, which is the goal for everyone. We have avoidant and we have insecure. Um, me personally, I am insecure. I have been healing it and dealing with it over the last few years. Um, personally... With these attachment styles, a lot of people feel like insecure and avoidant, let's say. They're like, oh, can you heal when you're in a relationship? Yes. And I think it's probably the best to do when you're in a relationship. Personally, because your triggers are triggered in the relationship. And that's the only way you can deal with them. Whereas when you're not in a relationship, it's like, I remember like there was times where like, before I got into my last relationship it was like yeah things were grand Um, I thought I was healed Um, I've done inver- uh, quotation the inverted commas when I said that um, that I was okay that like the triggers weren't going to trigger me anymore and boom when I got into a relationship it was like that wound was opened again but when I say again it was obviously never healed properly because you need to experience the triggers to be able to deal with them and heal with them Um. So yeah, yes, you can heal when in relationships. And it's very important to be with a partner that's openly secure in themselves um, to be able to hold that space for you when you're doing it, but also to be able to give you the reassurance when you need it, but also you need to be able to take accountability for your own wounds and your own healing because they can only do so much. They can only hold your hand so far. 
and I'm saying this because I need to remind myself of that sometimes as well. Um, but yeah, anyways, so our secure galleys out there, and um, there is obviously a test online that you can do for this as well. Um, just type in attachment style test into Google and you'll find it. Um, so secure attachment styles. So this is when obviously you feel like you're in a healthy, secure relationship and you and your partner can rely on each other and you're okay with being alone. So like, let's say when you are after spending, I'm just going to take this like myself into example because I'm an insecure. Um, I, I No, in saying that I'm not as insecure as I used to be. So I'm going to say, for example, when you've been on a date with your partner or if you've spent, like, let's say, the day with your partner, and let's say when you leave each other, and you still feel the bubbliness and the loveliness and whatever, and you just go on with your day afterwards, and you're okay with being alone, and you can rely on each other without feeling pressured to rely on each other, if that makes sense. Whereas our insecure girlies, when we have great date nights, um spend great time with our partners it's like when we leave it's like the anxious thoughts come back in again so that's the that's the difference between the two um so if you're secure you'll have like a positive sense of self-worth you won't rely on the validation from your partner to feel worthy of love and to feel enough um both partners are emotionally mature and can give the support to one another um so how I suppose this attachment style would have been developed in childhood is that as a child, your emotional, physical and mental needs were met. So, for example, when you were crying, your parents were attentive with you and they basically went over to you, picked you up when you were crying, either gave you your soother or your bottle or whatever it was that you were crying for and so on. Um, you felt safe and valued as a child Um you never felt like your worries or if you came to mom and dad with a problem, you never felt like they were belittled or diminished, like they were treated as a like your feelings were valid. Um, and I suppose as a child with your parents, this built trust with your parents and it allowed you as a child to be yourself and to explore and to become your independent self. So that's where the sense of self-worth came in. Um, so, yeah. I suppose all these attachment styles do develop from childhood and like that's not to say if you're insecure or if you're avoidant that you had a bad childhood like I always say our parents brought us up in the best way they knew how they just didn't have the tools and as a child we don't have that rationale between the ages of zero and seven to be able to say like so for example me being insecure one of my um I suppose inner child wounds is um an abandonment wound but as a child, when mommy and daddy were going to work or after school and they dropped me off to their friends to mind me um, until they finished work, I used to always think, oh, I wasn't good enough. Mommy and daddy were leaving me because they didn't love me. But little four-year-old Lauren didn't realise that, no, that wasn't the case. Mommy and daddy were just going to work to get money to put food on the table and keep a roof over our heads. So that's just how like our inner child wounds can have manifested in our subconscious and stuff like that and how that kind of stems into relationships because until we heal those wounds we will attract partners and that will 
I suppose, reflect that back to us. Um, now, sometimes, unfortunate for some of us, we can get into healthy relationships with a secure partner, but those wounds are still there. So I suppose to avoid self-sabotage in our relationships, it is important to heal these wounds. Um, so yeah, moving on to avoidance. So an avoidant person can struggle with showing intimacy and feeling close with someone in a relationship. They Not that they can't express their emotions, they just don't feel comfortable doing it and they don't do it that much to their partner or to people in their lives. Um, they try to keep people at like a distance. They don't... Um, they don't like closeness or like PDA or things like that. They just are very hyper-independent Um and they rely on themselves more so and this is just due to them being in fear of being hurt because like that why did we like that reflects back to as a child um so how that would have been in like stem from their childhood would have been their needs basically weren't met by their parents when they were a kid so let's say when they were crying for example like i said with the secure attachment their parents probably didn't attend to them as quickly. Um, they their parents would have downplayed their emotions. Um, what else? I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, they could have like let's say if the child came in with an issue or a problem or they felt upset about it, the parents could like make fun of them. Um, Let's say if a child achieved something really good in school or won a competition, the parent wouldn't really regard it or make a big deal out of it and stuff like that. Just little things like that. Um, sometimes even the child could have been completely ignored um, in terms of like their emotional, physical and mental needs were completely ignored. So they end up relying on themselves to, I suppose, give themselves that love in a way. Um, so that's why when they get into relationships, they don't tend to like dealing with emotions or telling people I love you or staying or sometimes they feel like they can't commit in a relationship as well because they feel like the other person's going to hurt them the way their parents did. Um, so, yeah, if this sounds like it could be you or if you're with an avoidant partner. um, Yeah, now sometimes it is there is a part there is a toxic cycle between avoidance and insecure. Um people if they get into a relationship with each other so to the insecure person the avoidant may represent a parent figure or may be similar to a parent figure in their lives when they were younger so they're this feels comfortable to them so if they're ignoring their needs like an avoidant would in the sense that they don't like closeness they don't deal with their emotions well insecure people can get caught in this toxic loop because it feels comfortable to them because it was like their parent and they're attracting this person into their lives because of what's been ingrained in their subconscious um so yeah so I would kind of in the early days if you can't find out off your partner if you're dating someone what their attachment style is especially if you're insecure because if you get caught in this loop it can be detrimental and it can not that you both can't work on it together absolutely not that's not the case but you know, just for the two of you, it's kind of better if you work on it, um, especially if you do see a future together. Um, yeah, so the next one, and to be honest, 
I have a lot to say about this next one, more so because I have this um, attachment style. I do, now, don't get me wrong, I do have tendencies, I do have some secure traits as well, like, so I can be alone. Um, I, I love spending time on my own. But then again, the anxiousness when I leave the partner sometimes comes in as well. Um, like I do have a positive sense of self-worth and stuff like that. But when the anxious or my inner child wound kind of is triggered a little bit, that's when it kind of takes a slippery slope. But anyways, then an anxious attachment, uh, an insecure or an anxious attachment style. Um, is someone who's anxious and more so always anxious in their relationships. Um, this can be platonic relationships as well. But the fear is always that their partner or their friends are going to leave them or abandon them and that they don't love them. So we always seek external validation and reassurance from people. And to our detriment, we can always assume the worst. So if you're an insecure attachment style, you will know this, that we can't overthink everything like my god to the point where like we create scenarios in our head that aren't even remotely true like I've fallen victim of this and like when I find out what has actually happened I'm like oh my god and then that's when the guilt kicks in it's like you feel guilty for assuming to yourself that this is what your partner is doing or this is why they didn't do this and that wasn't the case at all and then you feel bad for even thinking that they do that or thinking that that's what, like, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, so it, it can be kind of a toxic loop to yourself. Um, we can get quite clingy. Um, and we can kind of sense, or this is when it's kind of triggered. So when you're having a conversation, especially over text, and this is why I hate texting because you can't sense tone or mood over text. You can't. Like, even if I was to have a dif disagreement with someone, I'm like, oh, can we just FaceTime and sort this out? Or can I meet you in an hour and we'll chat about it? Like, I just can't do the whole texting thing. But then my anxious attachment style will come in. And if I don't get the text, I'll be triggered. But anyways. um, Yeah, so if we sense a change of tone, mood, body language in our partners or our friendships we just assume that it's to do with us and we assume it's our fault and this is where the traits of a wounded inner child comes in so we can become we might want to become the fixer the people pleaser and um, the over explainer just to get our partner or our friend on our side it's like we always want to feel liked and loved by people and we'll do anything it takes to get them um on our side I suppose um so how this I suppose developed in childhood is basically like I said our needs weren't met as a child and sometimes the anxious attachment style is linked to the fear of abandonment um and rejection as an inner child so our emotional needs weren't met we may have emotionally unavailable parents they weren't around a lot um now, in saying that, not that, like, stemming it back to me, it's not that my parents weren't around a lot. It was just like they were out working to put food on the table. But as a child, from the ages of zero to seven, when I developed this um, inner child wound and limiting belief, it was just 
I didn't have the rationale or my brain wasn't developed enough to be rational about what me, mommy and daddy were doing. I just, as a child, assumed that they didn't love me and they were leaving me like, and that I wasn't good enough for them to spend time with. But I know that now, you know, and it's something that like I'll always be working on because like we'll never fully be healed. Um, but yeah, and then in some instances, people might feel like that things were inconsistent at home. They don't feel safe. Um, if you like think back, like if things were, I suppose if there was arguments and rows at home as a child, like maybe you didn't feel safe then, or if there wasn't a great, I suppose, model of a, like a relationship between mom and dad growing up and, you know, just little things like that, where you felt like there was always a risk of someone leaving, um, but yeah, and then how this can affect relationships and adulthood. So this can be quite detrimental um, in both friendships and relationships. So, for example, when texting, the last scene when you're texting someone is very triggering to someone who has an anxious attachment style. Because, now this is why I suggest to everyone of my friends to turn them off especially if you're trying to heal your anxious attachment style, you don't need to know what your partner or your friend has been online last, especially if, so hang on, getting back. So last thing, if you've seen someone's been online at a certain time and you text them before that and you're like, oh, well, you would have seen my message. Why didn't you reply? We automatically assume that the person is ignoring us and we automatically assume that they don't want to talk to us and that we've done something wrong and the thoughts literally go from zero to 100 very fucking quick um and that might not be the case like you know like if anyone knows whatsapp there can be times where you flick off your phone after texting someone and you unlock your phone and whatsapp can just be open but that will still show that you were last seen at that time but that doesn't mean that your partner or your friend has seen your message or whatever or they could be busy and may have just went on to their phone really quickly and let's say if it was an important message they had to go back to they needed to text them really quick before getting back to work or if they were driving and they were at a traffic light and they just checked their phone for something but that doesn't necessarily mean that your partner's ignoring you um and another one as well so if let's say you've sent a message to your partner or your friend and then you see them online on social media or you know you can see that they're scrolling or something social media is very mindless okay and we can scroll and literally you know yourself if you're on tiktok or instagram and you get into a rabbit hole but like you're doing it so unconsciously that you forget that the person is sexy. I've fallen victim of this myself. And even at that, like, I'll do things, I'll apply to other messages sometimes, knowing that someone has texted me. And I know I'm not ignoring them, and I know they've done nothing wrong. But then when it's done on me, because I have the anxious attachment style, it's like it's completely different. It's like I can't take on board that I'm doing the exact same thing to them sometimes, and not purposely. You know, it's just like, but you just did the exact same thing. You didn't reply straight away and you've been on WhatsApp. But that doesn't mean I'm ignoring them or that they've done something on me or I don't want to talk to them, you know? So it's kind of just being a bit logical and rational about things before you let your mind overthink um, in certain situations. Another way this can play out is that when they have plans with other people or they cancel last minute 
we can assume that it's personal that you don't want to spend time with us when that's not the case like something may have come up that they need to attend to like let's say if I don't know their mom was sick or like I don't know maybe they're just tired like literally it can easily be as simple as that maybe they're just too tired but it's not that you don't want to see it like it could just simply be that they're too tired and they probably feel like they can't give them full selves to you. But we will take that as, oh, but they don't want to spend time with me. What like, do they not like me anymore? Oh, they don't, they don't want to be with me anymore. Or little things like that. But logically think about it. Wouldn't you rather someone meet up with you and be full of energy, have great conversation, have great fun and have the laugh rather than someone that's coming out boring and half asleep and you can't get two words out of them? Like, like think about it that way now me personally if I had plans with someone and I was direct I'd still go but then we have to think not everyone is like us not everyone will do the same things we're willing to do which can be the detriment to some of us as well no matter what attachment style you are um another thing as well is that we need to know when we'll see them next to keep our anxious attachment style at bay so it's like not knowing when we're going to see them again activates that a fear of abandonment mouth in the sense, oh, when am I going to see them again? Oh, are they going to break up with me in between then? Oh, this, oh, that, like, no. And I suppose not knowing when you're going to see them again does have an element of excitement to it because they could text you on the day and be like, hey, do you want to grab a coffee today? Or hey, do you want to go see the, the cinema today? Or even if it's your friend, like I'm talking this figure, like across the board with friendships and relationships, like... You know, have you ever had those last minute plans with your friends or like your boyfriend or girlfriend and it could have been the best thing ever than something that was actually planned? You know, like, yeah, it's okay to plan things. Like, and I'm kind of the same in the sense I do like things being planned. Um, But I suppose having that something planned when you're in an anxious attachment style, it just helps keep the anxious wound at bay, which I suppose isn't good, you know, um. I, it's kind of if you get anxious it's like I've thought I've this thought like I've, I'm quite self-aware in the terms of my thoughts when these things are triggered it's like that's oh, grand sure I'll see him on Thursday or I'll see him the weekend do you know it's like but that's not right it's like you're using that as a mask over your like anxious attachment wound rather than sitting there and actually nurturing your inner child because that's all it is it's just your inner child being scared and that's kind of toxic positivity like you're covering it with a band-aid being like oh sure it's grand like we'll get our hit when I see them again on whatever day if you have a plan and that's why we want to plan it's like yeah it's fine I'll see them then I can go about my day whereas like that's pushing your inner child away that's not attending to the child inside you that needs that love there and then from you and that's all they want they just it's your inner child wants it from you yet they feel safe when it comes from someone else but you know it's it, at the end of the day, it's you they want, you know. Um, but yeah. And then the next one, routine changes. Oh my God, for an anxious attachment style, this is the biggest thing ever. Like, when you're so set in a routine with someone and let's say you get a new job or, I don't know, if you're a teacher, summer holidays, 
and you're used to getting a text at a certain time or you're used to getting a phone call at a certain time or talking to them all day or let's say if you're used to FaceTimes all the time but then if you get a job and you can't FaceTime all the time it's like these little changes we take them personally because we feel like they don't want to do it but that's not the case it's just that we can't do it at those times anymore or like if you don't get the text at the time you usually get it doesn't mean that the person doesn't want to talk to you. It could be that they slept it out or they're having a like a lie on or like they're busy or, you know, like we need to be adult and like logical and rational about these things. Like it's not always personal. Like, and I feel like we take it personally sometimes and overthink these situations and assume the worst case scenario. First of all, the mind does it to protect the heart. That's your ego. Your mind will always think worst case scenario to protect your heart. And it's like your mind puts your body through it so that if it does happen, you know what to say. Because you ever get when you like think of a scenario that might happen, it's like you go through every single step that could possibly happen with that scenario and you think of what you're going to say back to this person. And it's like, so you can already have a plan that if it does happen, you'll know how to deal with it but then it never happens and you put your body and your nervous system through an event that actually didn't happen and didn't need to happen you know and that was never possibly a thing um so yeah um yeah so I suppose with all these uh, attachment styles Obviously, if you're secure, happy days. I'm jealous of you all and I am working to get there and I will get there at some point. But with the other two, um, this can cause some trouble in relationships sometimes, especially if you're not actively working on your um, inner child wounds. So take an anxious attachment style for an example. Um how this can kind of I wouldn't say cause trouble but how it can cause conflict and tension in your relationships I suppose is that you can always be asking your partner the same questions and asking them for the same reassurance all the time and this can get quite annoying to your partner especially if it's very frequent and it can seem like that you don't trust your partner and like you're pushing them away and that's far from the case you know and I suppose this is where and why it's important to have this conversation with your partner and I suppose ask what their attachment style is and explain to them why it is like what happened in childhood for you to be like this um and let them know that you are actively working on it because we don't want to push them away and it's not that we don't don't trust our partners it's more so for the fact that we just want that reassurance there in the moment you know and we shouldn't need to have that reassurance all the time we shouldn't need to always want it from our partners um but yeah so that's where it can kind of be troublesome in relationships um just because it can have the opposite effect of what you want when you ask the questions um so then with the anxious attachment style if you're assuming the worst case scenario in your head and thinking they're off doing xyz or they're ignoring you if you bring this up to your partner and accuse them of doing something or blaming them for things just because your mind made you believe it it was true because you thought about it for so long like that's another thing as well when you think of a situation that like or overthink a certain situation for so long your mind can actually start to believe it to be true and that's where like healing these anxious attachments all is so important because you're self-sabotaging yourself in these relationships if you start to believe every single thought that comes into your head 
and not actually be self-aware enough to be like okay is this actually true or is my anxious attachments all coming to out, coming out here um and then like if you say this to your partner they actually might think you're batshit crazy when literally they were just like coming home from work or they're on the phone with someone else like you know um yeah so I suppose again just to highlight that that's why it is so important to communicate these things with your partner and let them know that you have this type of anxious attachment style or avoidant tendencies because you can be anxious and have avoidant attend and have avoidant tendencies as well and um, so I suppose it is really important to kind of get to know what your attachment style is especially with your love language because this can help like if you're anxious and I suppose I think this is just me speaking out loud here when I think of me being an anxious attachment um having an anxious attachment style on my love language being quality time and words of affirmation the two link together you know it's like I didn't have the quality time and the words of affirmation enough and that's what led it as my anxious attachment style light bulb moment but yeah um that's pretty much it in terms of what I have Um, I hope this helped people um kind of delve deeper into it um in terms of the anxious attachment style like the all our attachment styles and stuff like that leads back to our inner child and how things were when we were a kid so anyone does want to heal their attachment style and heal these inner child wounds I would suggest going to therapy um therapy is unbelievable um if not therapy go to someone who can help with healing an inner child and get some so with therapy therapy is like talk therapy is very good if you're only starting off and I do feel everyone needs to have some sort of talk therapy in their life but then after doing the talk therapy myself and getting into somatic work it do, you do need to incorporate the two in order to heal it on a cellular level because our body never forgets, whereas our mind can in that sense. We can rationally um, heal things, but it doesn't mean it's healed emotionally. Hence why when you get triggered, you feel it in the body and not in your head. Um, So yeah, so any sort of somatic work, breath work, Reiki, um, ice baths can be very good to help regulate the nervous system. Um what else yoga yoga is amazing for getting back into the body and out of your head little things like that um obviously go to someone who you feel trusted with and um, that can provide a safe space for you to be yourself and express these um wounds especially because it can be quite I suppose emotional so you want to be able to feel safe to express and release any like if you need to cry and stuff like that um but yeah I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. As always, I enjoyed recording it. Um, if anyone does have any questions about attachment styles and stuff, I am a geek for human behavior and stuff like that. So if you do have any questions, please just message me on Instagram um, or give me a text if you have my number as well. Um, I would be happy to help in any way. But yeah, thank you all for listening and I'll give you I'll listen, learn, and then no. Today, Junior. Um, <laughs> I will chat to you all next week.